This is the Vita Foods Insight Podcast with Jade Mitchell-Ross, exploring the key issues affecting the global health and nutrition industry and delving into the trends, news and information key to making good business decisions. Hello and welcome to the Vita Foods Insights Podcast. I'm Jade Mitchell-Ross, joined by John Travis from NSF International. John, welcome back. Hi, thank you, Jade. We spoke at Vita Foods Europe in May about your research into sports nutrition supplements containing harmful ingredients and contaminants, and you recently released new research into similar problems with weight management products, right? Yeah, some weight management products and also some pre-workout products as well. Very good. So if you remember our conversation from May, I know that was quite a while ago, we were talking about all the different contaminants that were involved. Are there similar things found in these products that you've been researching recently? Are we talking about the same substances? You know, no, not really. They're related. So um, let's give you a little bit of background of how we came about to do these kinds of things. Mm. In 2004, USFDA, so I'm based in the U.S., so we're going to have a little U.S.-centric, but this really applies <laughs> worldwide with the kind of worldwide economy and Internet sales of these products. So they're pervasive, mm. even if they're manufactured in the U.S. or in U.K. or in Europe. They frequently cross borders very easily. So with that being said, ephedrine was banned in the U.S. in 2004. Yeah. Ever since then, there's been a group of manufacturers, a small group, that's been looking for products and ingredients that could replace ephedrine and give that same kind of stimulant kick. So, so the stimulants that are the problem, aren't they? Because they're the ones that cause the cardiac events, the risk of sudden death, especially when you're combining them with exercise like a pre-workout. Yeah, exercise caffeine, dehydration, which typically people are in that kind of state when they're exercising. So all those factors are risk factors for cardiac events. With that, new ingredients keep on popping up since mm. um, the federal was banned. Every once in a while, it seems like every year that's been occurring. So with our research, when we talked back in May about the research we did on, on DEPEA, I'm going to throw yeah. all these acronyms, DMAA, DMBA, oxaliferine. So how we kind of keep up on this is we 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 follow trends and we follow, we read forums and things of that nature and we notice people are talking about this new ingredient called two amino isoheptane. Okay. And so we decided, well, okay, let's do a, a quick survey of the marketplace to see how many products have this ingredient in it. We and actually let's do some research to see what this ingredient is. So when we when we went through that research, we couldn't find any any evidence that it was a legitimate dietary ingredient derived from plant. Mm-hmm. So it really piqued our interest. Then, and was that what people were hiding it as? They were claiming it was a natural. Exactly. Product, I mean, so okay. yeah, so we were we were concerned about the legitimacy because it really if it hadn't been in plants, it probably hadn't been used as an ingredient before. So we were conjecturing that there was no safety information on it. So we yeah. we dug scientific literature, and we couldn't find any, of course. So we said, let's get these six products in. We'll test them. So we tested them, and we were really shocked at what we found. So of the six products, only one of them had that ingredient in it. Mm -hmm. So we were thinking, well, what's in the product then? So we did some non-targets. We were kind of doing some investigative work, digging through it. And lo and behold, we found in a couple of the products DMAA, which has been similarly 
disproved as a legitimate dietary ingredient in the U.S., and many countries have prohibited its use in, the, in those products. We found DMBA, and then we found a new analog called um, 2-amino-5-methylhexane. That's a nice long chemical term, but yeah, so out of all so people these... Were, they were claiming they contained, what was it, 2-amino-isoheptane, but yeah. five of them didn't. They were actually hiding something that was Other, more dangerous, or what, what's the reasoning well, behind this? <laughs> See, we don't, we really don't have a good idea of why manufacturers are doing this. So we don't know if it was done intentionally, if the ingredient supplier was actually pulling a, um, a fast one on them by mm. having this product, this ingredient, labeling it one way and it's actually something else. So shame on the manufacturers for not checking on that. But we really don't know their intent. We just know that this is what it is. And some, and even given that, Jade, these ingredients, the two-amino-isoheptane, that's probably not a legitimate dietary ingredient anyway. Yeah. So they were putting something that was illegitimate in a product, thinking, and then it was actually something else. So, and the, but just to be clear though, too, the majority, the vast majority of the supplement industry is trying to make quality and safe products for their consumers. They're not oh, yeah. trying to do these kinds of things. I mean, this is a very small minority, but there is it is a minority, and that seems to be what puts the consumer at risk. Well, I would never argue that the industry is, on the whole, making quality products, but trust and transparency are real issues at the moment, and they seem to be buzzwords for consumers, especially around weight management products. I mean, we've got consumers already skeptical like quick-fix products, and they're desperately looking for transparency. So cloaking yeah. such ingredients must be a real blow here. Yes, and you know, interesting thing. So, this just came out the um, CAS, which is the arbitration panel for sports worldwide that's housed in um, Switzerland, mm -hmm. just ruled on an anti doping case where uh, a U.S. athlete had tested positive for DMBA. He had claimed it was from a supplement. The supp I don't recall the supplement name because it mm -hmm. wasn't released in the press in the press on release. But then to come to find out the product actually had DMAA on the label. So originally he had been giving one suspension and then CAS moved that suspension from six months to two years. So these kinds of things, and this, this is exactly what we were studying, it, it, it impacted the world of sport. Correct me if I'm wrong, DMAA was the first one and that got banned and it was replaced with DMBA and both were kind of methamphetamines, am I right? Um, they, they're not, not really methamphetamine, but they, they mimic methamphetamine so they have those kinds of effects in the body. Okay. Without the, they're not CNS kind of stimulants, mm -hmm. but they impact likely the parasympathetic nervous system. But the whole point is, that there's no safety information. So yeah. these have not been studied in humans and they're being placed in the supplements. I mean, it's one thing giving it to, you know, an elite athlete, but people who take you kind of weight management ones or pre-workouts, they tend to just be normal people just looking to be yeah. a little bit healthy. So that's really scary. Yeah, it's impacting a, a large segment of the population. So how are manufacturers supposed to start rebuilding trust among these consumers? Well, I mean, I think one way is to, you know, one thing we do here is, um, at NSF is we, we have a certification program where we, mm -hmm. for these manufacturers, we test these products for their quality and safety. We, and we audit their manufacturing facilities. We test their products to make sure what's on the label and what's, is what's in the bottle. And then for the Certified for Sport line, 
of what we do. We actually screen these products against these stimulants to make sure that they're not present in the products. So really, to, for consumers to be protected, they should look for that NSF blue dot on the product that knows it's gone through these kinds of things, and they can be assured that it has these qualities. So that's from a consumer standpoint. And then for manufacturers, do they need to start looking closer at their supply chain? Oh, yes, exactly. And they, I mean, they should follow some kind of good manufacturing um, practices where they actually go through. And when those ingredients come in the door, they should be testing those ingredients for identity. They should be doing their, their due diligence to make sure they're legitimate dietary ingredients. And that's, a, I mean, that, so that's part of what we do when I was alluding to um, auditing the facility. We, we actually audit. We make sure they're following these good manufacturing processes practices, excuse me. So we, we review what they're doing to make sure that they're they're looking at their batch records, they're they're testing their ingredients to make sure they are what they say they are, that they're manufacturing the product and that their finished product is comes out as to what it's labeled as. You mentioned that you tested six products initially to find them. Um, I just want to know how prevalent do you think the issue is across the industry as a whole? Do you think we find a lot of non-legit um, items in a lot of products, or is it ones with a particular claim? What kind of things are we looking at? You know, for this one, for this particular, instance, I think we caught it right at the genesis and in the introduction of this ingredient into the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So when we embarked on this study that was, I think, 18 months ago, when we actually started looking and did the search, and that's how long it takes for us to, to get this. And then we were doing the investigative um analysis trying to figure out what was in the product so i i dare say that i wonder what it would be like and it'd be interesting um kind of further research is to do another search and see how prevalent it's become and i can i mean i could predict that probably in the future once we have this out in the open that they're going to move to something else i was just about to ask if you want to take a guess at what the next name long um uh, long item name will be <laughs> Yeah, there's a um, so many of these came out of a research paper mm. from Eli Lilly back in the 40s. So we seem to find that I mean that's where DMBA and DMAA came from. This two amino isoheptane is also listed in that paper. I I can make a pretty educated guess that the next one will come from that paper as well. Okay, so is there any preemptive strike that we could think about? <sighs> You know, it's just people just need to be aware of what they're taking. As far as from the industry, just for manufacturers, the people that are really trying to do the right thing are aware that these issues are. And if somebody is selling you a product, they say, well, this is like DMAA. Well, I'd be very wary about that ingredient. So I guess with all this, Jade, really with these with these products here that we, we studied, we're really encouraging and consumers to avoid these products that have the two amino acids mm -hmm. and, and some of them were actually didn't even have that on the label. They had this extract of Aconitum Kuznetsovii. I know it's a mouthful, but <laughs> so that's another, that's another trend that we had seen throughout all of our research is they were hiding these ingredients as an extract of some botanical that had potentially been in the marketplace. So if there's something on there that looks a little bit unusual, probably a good idea. Yeah, to I mean, for, for whatever, there are a number of reasons that they that they do that. One, when people see it, it's a plant extract, they naturally think it's safe. And as we know, there are many toxins that come from plants, so that's not necessarily true. So people got to need to be aware of that. And two, 
if they put these chemical sounding names, there's a, there's a segment of the consumers that wow, think wow, this is a, this is some new ingredient. It's it's like a chemical sounding. It's got to be. It's going to do something for me. So there's that mentality as well. And just people need to be aware that those aren't necessarily good things. Well, John, thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you, Jade. You can learn more about the issues of trust and transparency in our industry on our website, vitafoodsinsights.com. Follow us on Twitter at VF underscore insights. And remember to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Vitafoods Insight Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at VF underscore insights. And remember to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Vitafoods Insights is an always-on engagement platform designed to explore key issues affecting the global health and nutrition industry. Visit our website, vitafoodsinsights.com, for more.